Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. watching online we are really excited that uh, you've given us some time today we're in week four actually of our series that we've entitled battle of the sexes and today we're going to look at uh, we're going to look at one thing we, we've really talked about really a biblical understanding of manhood we've taken a look at really a biblical understanding of, of womanhood and now today we're going to begin to to take a stab at, at marriage and I have uh, in in my life uh, been to a lot of uh, marriage counseling. I've read a lot of marriage books, heard a lot of sermons on marriage. And I'll, I'll tell you, that those things can help with your communication skills. They can help with some conflict resolution, but nothing has helped me like just understanding a foundational definition and meaning of marriage. Because here's what I believe. If you really don't know what the true meaning of marriage is, you're always going to be frustrated. And I think there are so many folks that are just frustrated and just disillusioned in marriage. And so today we're going to take a look at Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to see just uh, real clearly what the meaning of marriage is, and it's probably going to surprise you. Uh, to be honest, uh, most couples I don't think really understand this or think about this and the implications that it, that it has. You know, as we think about an ancient view of marriage... Well, kind of an ancient view of marriage was much more functional or practical. In other words, you would, would marry a, a, a woman, and sometimes that marriage would be arranged, and it would be arranged kind of so for some financial reasons, and so you would uh, be able to take care of her, and she'd help take care of you. She would have children. Those children would work on the, on the farm or in the family business, and then as you got too old to work, your children would take care of you, so marriage was, was much more kind of pragmatic. Now, a modern view of marriage is very different. A modern view of marriage is much more, much more based on a romantic view, that the highest good and need is, is romance and looking for somebody to complete us or to satisfy us romantically. And so that's kind of where the Romeo and Juliet thing uh, comes into play. And, and so uh, some of you thought you married Romeo and you, you, you married Randy. Right, he doesn't have a chariot. He he's got a he's got a Dodge pickup, and and uh, you know he he doesn't he doesn't have a castle. He calls it a modular home. Your dad calls it a a double wide, and his idea of romance is much more like the Golden Corral and the the tractor pull down here at uh, Miller Coliseum over the weekend. And so that's left you thinking, wow, this is not what I thought it was going to, to be like because I, I, wanted, I wanted romance. And, and, and more than anything else in marriage counseling throughout, throughout the years, here's what I've heard very early in from couples. They say, you know, we've just made a mistake. We thought it was going to be like this, or I thought he was going to be like this, or I thought she was going to be like this, and it, it's not the case. And so the primary challenge in marriage is, is learning to love and care for the stranger you find yourself married to. Because so many people will say this, well, I just married the wrong person. Let me just go ahead and say this. Everybody marries the wrong person. Think about that. You married the wrong person. But if you're in the relationship with Jesus Christ, he can make them into the right one. So it's not so much who you marry, it's who you become inside the marriage. 
today, and we're going we're gonna to see that. And, and there are a lot of things we could say about marriage, and I, I want to I just say just a couple as it relates to kind of meaning of marriage and what, what it's all about. And so I think marriage is, is a good gift of God. I, I believe that is a good gift of God. I love my wife. I'm thankful for my wife, and on most days she would say the same of, of me. It's a great companionship. It's just super encouraging and refreshing to be in marriage. So I, I love marriage, and I'm, I, I'm really heartbroken a lot of times as I get a chance, especially talk to young guys in their 20s and, and young guys in their 20s that I get to, a chance to talk to. And that, that's not everybody, but a lot, of, a lot of young guys in their 20s have just a low view of, a low view of marriage. And, 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 and part of the reason, I think, is because they haven't seen a healthy view of marriage growing up sometimes. Part of it is just so much we see in the culture. It's just easy to be super critical of marriage. And so we're, we're seeing that. And so I, it's heartbreaking because it is a great gift of God. Now, here's the, here's the second thing I would, I would say. Like, what is marriage meant to, to be? Well, most people, in fact, if, if, if we had 10 couples up here who were just starting their life out and you were to ask them, what do you think the meaning of marriage is? Most couples would say something about, about this, something about really finding happiness now together. And so most couples think marriage is mostly about happiness. And I'm going to say something that... Uh, I've said before, but most people don't remember what I said. Marriage is not primarily about your happiness. Marriage is mostly about your holiness. And if you think, here's the reason why so many people are struggling in marriage. If you think marriage is all about happiness and you're not being happy, then you get really frustrated and you're prone to, to quit. But marriage is about God changing us from the, the inside out. I, I read this quote this week. Uh, that's really, really helpful about marriage is really about preparing us for eternity. And, and uh, Gary and Betsy, I don't know how to say their last name, but it's a good one, says one of the best wedding gifts, they said this, one of the best wedding gifts God gave you was a full-length mirror called your spouse. And had there been a card attached to it from, from God, it would have said, here's to helping you discover what you are really like. And that's what marriage will do. Marriage will help you discover what you're really like and what's really going on within you. And if you think that marriage is mostly about happiness, that you, then you will constantly fight against what that other person is showing you, and you'll be discouraged, and you'll be frustrated. But if you understand that marriage is way more about holiness, then, ah, it begins to make sense, and you're not working against what God is doing. But I would say what we're about to talk about from Ephesians chapter 5 is in my opinion the most transformational thing for me that has helped me in my marriage more than anything else. And my prayer today, listen, listen, is that it would help you. Because for the last 25 years, I have just met with hundreds and hundreds of couples who are in a tough spot. And I mean, if, if you would have said in my office, I mean, we're, we're going to watch a, a Super Bowl, a, a battle this afternoon on the football field. It, it pales in comparison to some of the battles that we see inside of marriage. And most of them stem from just an improper understanding of the meaning of marriage. So in Ephesians chapter 5, if you're there, we're going to pick up in verse 21 very strategically because Ephesians chapter 5 is one of the most attacked passages in our contemporary culture on marriage and relationships. And I want to go ahead and say that most people, even inside the church today, would say that the Apostle Paul had like an antiquated view of marriage and that we have evolved past this and we try to explain this away. It's got the submission word in it, right? And everybody bristles at that. Now, 
Let, let's begin in verse 21. Most of you, if you have your Bible open, do, do you have a chapter break? Is there a break within the chapter there right before, right before verse 22 in your Bible? You see that? Most Bibles do. And that's what the editor put in. That's not what the Apostle Paul put in. Because verse 21 and verse 22 are meant to go together. And if you don't see them together, that causes some of the problems. That makes sense. Do you understand um, that when the New Testament was written, there wasn't chapter and verse there? Ephesians was just one letter, right? Just this flow of one letter. And so this is what kind of editors uh, did. And so Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's a lot there. Who is supposed to submit to each other? Everyone, right? We all submit to each other. Now, uh, what is the motivation for submission? It says it right there. Out of what? Reverence for Christ. I don't submit to you. Well, let's define submission first. Submission is to put another person's needs, desires ahead of your own. And I don't submit to you because you deserve it. I submit to you as a way of reverencing Christ or as a way of loving Christ. And this is where we're going to get a picture for marriage. Like, here's what I believe the meaning of marriage is. I believe the meaning of marriage is to paint a picture in this horizontal union between Amy and I of this spiritual union we have with Christ, which is the most important. The most important union in my life is not my union with my wife. I love my wife. The most important union in my life is my union with the Lord Jesus. Would you agree with that? And so inside marriage, what, I'm, what my marriage is supposed to do is my marriage is supposed to paint a picture of my union with Christ. It, it is also a way that I can love Christ. Like as I submit to my wife, as I put my wife's needs ahead of mine, that is a way that I am loving the Lord Jesus. Now, here we go. Verse 22, it says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. We'll look at that in greater detail. Ladies, stop the head bobbing. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he is the savior of. So again, really what, what Paul is talking about here, this is about the, the church. This is about Christ and the church. And you can just substitute your name where you see church there in this passage, all right? He's talking to believers. So Jesus is the head of the church. He is our protector. He is our redeemer. He is our provider. A husband is not supposed to be Christ in a family. That's, that's not it. But he's supposed to create an environment where the gospel can take root. And part of what headship is, is to be this, this, this provider inside and this protector inside of, of marriage. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit, submit to their husbands in everything. Now I have, I, I think it's easy for a woman to submit to her husband when the husband is doing what the scripture says in verse 25, husbands love your wife, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So how did, how did Christ show us ultimately that he loved us? Help me church. He died, so that's a sacrificial love. Like I, I, I would think, ladies, would you would you look this way? Is it is it's relatively easy to love someone who is really laying down their life for you, right? I mean, we don't really have a problem with that. Nobody responded, but hopefully your answer is yes. And then verse twenty six. Look at this. This gives us another purpose or meaning for marriage. Look to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. This is what Christ is doing for you, the church. Is what, you would say, where is God at work? God is at work in sanctifying us. Now, that's a churchy word. Sanctify means that we're growing in holiness. So that's what God's doing. And how is he doing it? He's doing through washing us with the word. Now, I, I said this in the last service. People looked at me like I, I was strange. But let, let's say it's in the middle of the summer, like it's August in Tennessee. It's been 90-some-odd degrees every single day. If somebody sitting beside you had not showered in one week, you would know that, right? 
pretty, pretty clearly. Let me tell you something. If you haven't been in the Word, if the last time you opened your Scripture up was when you were here last week, everybody around you knows that because of our attitudes and our actions, because it's the Scripture that washes us and cleanses us and recalibrates us and feeds us. That was just free. And so that was amen a child said back there. Did you hear that? And so he's saying, this is what, this is what Christ is doing for the church, sanctifying the church. And, and so this is the point of marriage. Marriage is a tool of God to sanctify us, right? So marriage is not so much about making us happy, but it's about making us holy, okay? Now, verse 28, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as Christ, or, or love their wives as the church of their own body who he loves, uh, loves his wife as himself. I, I messed that up. My teleprompter's got things pulled together there, so that will blame that on... A man takes responsibility, so I'm not, I just taught you that in week one. I just butchered that. Verse 29, after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their own body, just as Christ does the church. Uh, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united uh, to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So that's this concept of this union. That when we come together in this covenant of marriage, there is this union that we have. And it's not the primary union in life. The primary union in life, look at verse 32. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Paul says the primary union is when we were dead in our sin, we put faith and trust in Christ, and now we are one with Christ. We are hidden in Christ, all right? Verse 33, however, uh, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and his wife must respect her husband. So a woman a woman's great need is to be loved unconditionally. A guy's great need is to be respected. You see that in verse 33. Now let's go to work, all right? Let's kind of break this passage down. And I want us to leave with one thought that I think could really help you. The meaning of marriage is this. The meaning of marriage is to paint a picture, to model, if you will, of our union with Christ. Now, I want to put a picture up on the screen here. Uh, a wedding picture that, that everybody's oohed and awed over all, all weekend. This is Ezra and, and Mary Grace uh, Jones. Here's their wedding picture. So what's going to happen is this black and white picture is going to change through the course of this 30-minute uh, message. And there are going to be layers of color that is going to come into this picture that's going to change the way you view this picture. And you say, well, what what, what What's the point in that? This is really what needs to happen in our own marriages. Because because I believe this, that I believe as we begin to live the gospel out and we see our marriage as a picture that really shows people about this union that we have in, in, with Christ, it begins to change everything. Uh, Tim Keller has a quote uh, from his book, The Meaning of Marriage, which is where I stole most of this from. Anyway, it's a great book, by the way. Keller says, the reason that marriage is so painful and yet wonderful is because it is a reflection of the gospel, which is painful and wonderful all at the same time. The gospel says this, we are more sin and flawed, sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. And at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. This is the only kind of relationship that will really transform us. So what does the gospel say? That I'm more, I'm more sinful and I'm more broken than I ever 
dared to believe. But the gospel also says, because of what Jesus has done, I'm more forgiven and accepted than I'd ever understood. And so inside marriage, we begin to see that and embrace the brokenness in each other's life. And we're not adversarial about the brokenness in each other's life. We want to help each other with the brokenness uh, in our lives and point each other to the gospel. So here we go. We're going to look at, watch this, for the next few minutes, we're going to look at some non-negotiable colors in a gospel-centered marriage portrait. Some non-negotiable colors that will bring your marriage to life and paint a great picture of this union that you have with, with, with Christ. So, so here's the first one. It's right there in the scripture, submission. Submission in marriage displays our ultimate submission to Christ. So when, when Paul says that wives are to submit to their, their husbands, watch this. First of all, that is a practical application to a general command that had just been given in verse 21 for all people. But when I do that, m- most folks say, well, you know what? He doesn't deserve that. Like putting his needs ahead of my needs, he doesn't, he doesn't deserve that. Well, listen, you're really not submitting to him. By doing that, you're ultimately submitting to Christ, and it's a way that you can love the Lord Jesus. And so we want, we desperately watch this. Some of you are uh, so angry about this concept, I understand. Because it's counterintuitive. You think, you know what? I want to see him change before I would be willing to do that. Or I want to see her change before I would be willing to do this. Watch this. If you would obey the Lord and what he's called you to do, God would begin to change them in a supernatural way. That's what it means to really trust him in this. Now, I want to say this. I believe God's word is good. That's where I'm. I believe everything in the scripture is inspired by God. Do you believe that? I believe it's good. But I also believe, listen, listen also believe some of the commands in Scripture are difficult and can be offensive. Like, I believe that. And we're not the first generation. This is kind of what we're, many times we're so arrogant. We think we're the first generation to be offended by commands in Scripture. We're not. Every generation has been offended by the commands in Scripture because they're difficult. They're hard. We don't fully understand them right? So here are the only two, here are the only two options we have whenever we read something in scripture that is offensive to us. We can either revise our actions or we revise his word. Like what most people do is they revise the word. In other words, say, well, that's not really what the Bible is saying. It means something different. Or, or Paul had this old-fashioned view of women, and so we don't believe that way. Well, well, well listen, there is a real problem there because if, if you are revising his word in one area, what's keeping you from revising it in another area? You see? So wonder if we would just be people that would say, Lord, in a difficult and an offensive passage, I want to revise my actions. I want to trust you. Now, This is really, really tough, but this is the core of the battle of the sexes. Like, if if you don't realize you're in a fight, it's going to end real bad, right? And I I think we get sucker punched on a daily basis inside our marriage, and we don't even know what we're fighting against. This is what breaks my heart. I hear people say this all the time that come in in marriage counseling. They say, you know what? Uh, we're, We're done because love shouldn't be this hard. That might be one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. No offense. Like, we wouldn't say that in any other area of our life. Like, you know, I grew up as a baseball player. I wouldn't say hitting a 90-mile-an-hour fastball is hard, so I, I just quit. No, you work on it. I never was able to do it. But anyways, you see, you still work on it. 
Or if you, if you play an instrument, you'd say, well, playing the piano is hard. No, you just, you, you, you work on it. Inside marriage, you have two broken and sinful, selfish people that have come together in this relationship. It is going to be difficult, and God's going to use it to grow us and strengthen us. But here's what I want you to see, because I think this gets right at to the heart of the problem, is, is number one, that men and women are created differently. Would you, would you agree with that? That's pretty easy. Now, here's the part. In the last service, I asked this as a question and people answered wrong, which is awkward in church, Like right? People think I'm going to lose my salvation. You're not. Nobody talks about this. We're all so cursed differently. Like, you should see the looks I'm getting on faces right now. Like, this is nuts. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. We've looked at this passage multiple times because this series is called The Battle of the Sexes. But where does the battle start? Genesis chapter 3 tells the story of Adam and Eve after they sinned against God, rebelled against God. They didn't revise their actions. They just kind of revised the word. Does that make sense? And so the fall of mankind and all these consequences. Like I would say this. Listen, I think every problem that you and I have in your life right now has its roots back at the fall of mankind. And the consequences that come from that. And so in Genesis chapter 3 verse 16, God is giving out the consequences or the curse, if you will, of the rebellion. He gives it to Satan. He gives it to the woman. And then he gives it to the man. Listen to this. This could be very helpful to tell you why are we having such a hard time getting along? Why is this so difficult To the woman, he said, I will make your pain in childbearing very severe. Now, this is not God just being mean. This is is the natural consequence. This was the consequences of sin, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil that God never wanted Adam and Eve to experience. And now that they have, he's saying that your your pain in your childbearing is going to be very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. And, And for women, women are natural born nurturers. And so as a consequence of that, even with the children, nurturing, bearing children, delivering children, caring for children is going to be very difficult. For a man, in the next passage, we see that a, a man's work is going to be more challenging and difficult. But, but look at this last part of Genesis 3.16. Here it is. God says, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. That's not what God originally intended. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because we go right back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, and God says to Adam there, prior to sin, he says, it's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to give you, we looked at this last week, if you remember, I'm going to give you a helpmate, Ezer, one who's going to come alongside you. And so what God originally intended for this relationship with Adam and Eve is that they would come alongside each other. But what happens as a consequence or a curse of the sin is now that's broken. And so what you see in relationship is you see women trying to control or dominate men or men trying to control and dominate a woman or you see a woman behind a man just being totally dependent and totally needy upon him. Instead of being side by side, now we're locked in this tug of war inside the relationship. You guys are looking at me like this is really crazy. This all started, it's not, here's what I want you to see. The difficulties you're having in your, in your marriage or in any relationship with someone, it's not at the core because you made the wrong choice and married the, the wrong person. It is this, this is, this is a, this is a result of the fall and, and she is cursed different than you are. So it's very, very difficult. And so many times we see this, right? And I hear this in marriage counseling. I just want him to lead spiritually, 
And really, when you begin to, 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 to look at it, and I know that can be, a, be an okay statement, but really, she's wanting to control him. She's wanting him to react and respond the way that she wants him to react and respond, and she is pulling him, right? And he is pulling back as far, because here's one of the things I know about, about a man. You jump out there in front of him, most of the time, he will shut down, and he will dig his heels in, and that may be where you are. And so all I'm wanting you to see, all I'm wanting you to see here, watch this, watch this, is you know you say you know what that that sounds a little bit like us. We've sort of been locked in this tug of war relationally for a long time. Where does that come from? We see that right as a consequence of the fall, and so the only hope for this, the only hope for this is to go back to Scripture and say what would it look like in our relationship for this side by side relationship to take place? To let God redeem this and understand what the real problem is. Now, here's what I want to say about submission. Watch. This, this could help you because I, I don't want to get 150 emails tomorrow. Submission does not mean, ladies, listen to this. Submission does not mean the inferiority of a woman. Women are not inferior to men. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says a woman is created in the image of, of God just as a man is created in the image of God. We've already looked at that. Uh, submission does not mean the dominance of the man. It doesn't mean that now a man is supposed to dominate over you. Spiritual, guys, listen to this. Listen, listen. Spiritual headship is not a license to do what you want. It is an empowering to do what you should. You see that? When you take the role of being that spiritual head for your family to create and cultivate an environment where the gospel can grow, that is an empowering that God will give you to do what you should. Uh, submission is not unconditional obedience. Ladies, please listen. Could you look this way? Last week, my wife was up here, and she said this to me that was helpful. She said, you know, you always say people aren't listening to you. I didn't think you were true, but I didn't think it was true. But then when I sat up there, I realized they're really not, <laughs> right? Submission does not mean unconditional obedience by the woman. Submission does not mean unconditional obedience by the woman. If your husband is calling you to do something that contradicts the word of God and the will of God, there is a higher authority that you obey. That's God's authority. When he is, listen, ladies, when he is calling you to do something that contradicts the word of God or the will of God for you, he's not acting like a spiritual head. He's acting like the spiritual rear end, to be honest, the other end of the horse. You know what I mean? That went over good, didn't it? You'll remember it. It's not independent decision-making on the part of the man. It doesn't mean that he calls all the shots and makes all the decisions in the home. It, it, because Amy is my Ezer. She is my helpmate. She's the one that's coming along beside me. I believe she's born again and has the Holy Spirit living inside of her. So decisions that we make inside our family, we talk about, we pray about. You know, a lot of times people say, well, who, who, who has the tie-breaking vote? You know, it, it usually doesn't come down to that, right? If we're trusting the Lord and being led by the Spirit. Let, let me try to explain it this way. Where do we see the greatest unity inside relationship? The greatest unity we see inside relationship, I think we see in the Trinity. With the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Co-equal and co-eternal. Would you agree with that, anybody? And, and, and it's not like they're locked in this sort of argument about who, who gets to call the shots. I mean, you'll email me if I'm wrong, but the only time in Scripture that I see kind of a tiebreaker take place is Jesus in, in, in the garden as he's about to go to the cross and he makes that statement, Father, not my will, but what? Your will be, be done. What does submission say? Submission says your desires, your wishes, and dreams are going to take priority over mine. Can I just ask you, what would your marriage today look like if that's the way you lived it out? 
your desires and your wishes and your dreams are going to take priority over mine. Let me tell you something. My marriage today, I can't even look at my wife right now. My marriage today would be so different. It would be better if I would have lived that out. Submission to our spouse is a picture of our ultimate submission to Christ. What, what I want you to see is it's something far greater than just your marriage. You see that? The meaning of marriage is not just this relationship you have with your spouse, but when we're loving them well, it is showing and painting a picture of who Christ is and how he has loved us. Your decision, look at your notes, your decision to submit to your spouse out of reverence for Christ. Again, why do I say that? Not when they have earned it or they deserve it or when, when, when you think they have. That's some sort of control contractual relationship, right? That's you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That, that's, not, that's not the way that God loves us. Your decision to submit to your spouse out of reverence to Christ creates the potential for God to do something truly great in your marriage. So here's a question before we move on. Are you willing to do for your spouse what Jesus has done for you? What has Jesus done for us? He went first, didn't he? Are you willing to do for your spouse what Jesus has done for you? He went first. Let's put the picture up, the wedding picture up. Just with one layer, submission. Do you see? Now we're beginning to see the colors. Look at, look at the bank. The greens are beginning to, to, to come out on the bank. And so now with just adding one of these commands of Scripture inside our marriage, now it's painting a different picture. It's got some warmth. It's starting to, to, to liven up a little bit. Here's the second command, I think, that are non-negotiables in this gospel-centered portrait inside marriage, sacrifice. Great marriages take sacrifice. Sacrifice in marriage ultimately displays how Christ has sacrificed for us. So when I'm sacrificing for my spouse, again, what is my motivation? It's not that she's earned it or deserved it. It's that I'm painting a picture of how Christ has sacrificed for me. Do you see that? When we sacrifice in marriage, we're painting a picture of how Christ has sacrificed for us. Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Helen Rowland was a, was a humorist who, who used to write articles uh, for single ladies in the New York Times, and, and she had, had this little quote that uh, made her pretty famous. She said, when a girl marries, she exchanges the attention of all the other men of her acquaintance for the inattention of just one. That's a high view of marriage there, isn't it? Hey, here's the deal. When a woman marries, she changes, ch- uh, trades in the attention of all these other guys for the inattention of one. Guys, listen to what I'm, listen to what I'm about to say. You know, we are prone. One of the things that we're prone to do as men is we're prone to see something that we want and go after it with everything that we have. And we will sacrifice for that. We'll do whatever it takes to really capture what it is that we want. And, and I think it's kind of like trophy, big game hunting. Not, Ladies, you're not the big game. Understand, bad analogy. You understand that? So we capture that and we put that up on the wall and then we begin to chase something else. We sacrifice for something else. It's our career, it's our hobbies or whatever. We're just prone to compartmentalize and do that. But you know what? Great marriages really model the way God loves us and God continues to pursue us, doesn't he? Think about it, man. Is God continuing to pursue you or did he just woo you into relationship and then leave you? I see one of my old college teammates here. He probably used to make fun of me because he wasn't walking as closely with the Lord then as he he should have been, I would imagine. I used to write cards. I'm just kidding, Tony. I just used to write cards for Amy and put them on her car 
right? I haven't done that in a long time. I've been super convicted about that. She'd probably be weirded out by that today. But don't we do things when we're dating that we just don't care what people think because we're in love? And we sacrifice for that other person in ways that something, something just happens as we, as we get old and we, we quit doing that and our, and our marriage grows stale. What would your marriage be like? Not only as you were submitting, putting her needs ahead of your own, ladies the same way, but if we were sacrificing. And why would we do that? Because it really is, is showing how Christ has sacrificed for us. Number three, commitment. Let's take a look at this. Commitment inside marriage is this non-negotiable, listen, non-negotiable color that paints a great picture of who Christ is. Commitment in marriage shows this. Listen to me. It shows God's commitment to us. Now, please listen to what I'm about to say. This is really intense. Many of you in this room have gone through a divorce. Understand that. Here's what the Bible says about our sin. The Bible says that, that, that God has forgiven us our sin and has cleansed us from all our unrighteousness. Do you believe that? As a follower of Christ, we've been cleansed from all of our unrighteousness. Is that good news? It's great news. But let, let's talk about the relationship you're in right now. When we quit on a marriage, sometimes I hear people say this. They say, you know what? It's just going to be better for us to be apart because we can't get along right now. It'll be better for our kids to be apart. That's just such a, it's just such a justification and rationalization. It just doesn't wash. And they never take into account when believers quit on a marriage, it really paints a picture that God quits on us. Does God quit on us? The Bible says that he will never leave us or what? forsake us. He will never leave us or he'll never forsake us. So commitment inside a marriage, when I stay committed inside a marriage, when it's difficult, it's painting a picture of how God has stayed true in his commitment to us through all these years. I'm so thankful that God has never left me or forsaken me. I deserved it. Anybody else with me? I deserved it, but he never did. And so when I stay committed to my wife, I'm painting a picture of how God has been committed to us. You see, there's something way higher going on here than what we thought about something way more important. Let's take a look at our picture and see how we're doing. I think we've layered three colors now to it. Look at that. Isn't it starting to liven up a little bit? Isn't it starting to come alive with submission, with sacrifice, with commitment? Let's look at the fourth thing. We're almost done. Forgiveness. Forgiveness in marriage shows ultimately how God has forgiven us. You know, if you're single today, and you, you, a lot of times singles will, will come to me and say, when, when am I ready to be, when am I ready to get married? Are, are, are you a person who has a difficult time forgiving? If you're a person who has a difficult time forgiving, you're not ready to get married. Because marriage is going to take buckets of mercy and forgiveness. Like a, a lot of times ladies will come in and, and we'll be doing marriage counseling on the, and they'll really say this, when is he going to get it? Like, when am I going to have to quit forgiving him? I always say this. This is why they don't come back. I said, when he steps into the kingdom and he's finally fully redeemed. Inside my marriage, man, just I think about this last week. I, it was a busy day. I came home. My wife, she's cooked a great meal. She's had our, our grandson all afternoon who says no to everything now. And I was running late and I, I wanted to see, a, I want, there was a basketball game I wanted to see. Right? The team I follow just happens to be number one in the nation. I'm just saying, I don't even know if I should even mention that. But anyways, it may just be for a couple weeks, but it's now, so deal with that. So I went to see that, so I, I rush in and I just eat. I eat my dinner like, you know what, I, I'm eating at O'Charlie's or something, right? And I sort of just thank her like she's a waitress or something. 
you know. I get up. I don't say anything about what she'd done. I just, I just rush off into there, and I'll watch my game. I don't, I don't help with any dishes. And, and, and I'm just in there doing my deal. And then I want to come after it's over and tell her how great it was. Like, she's really interested in hearing what just happened with that. And it just, it just dawned on me, what, what a loser. Right? I mean, I've been away all day. I come home. She's been busy. She cooked a great meal. I don't even acknowledge that. I just, I just walk in. I just do my, my own deal. And you know what? And, and she's just saying these words. Hey. I said, I'm sorry. And she says, I, I know. Now, I think that means I know you're sorry, not I know you're sorry. Do you know what I mean? I think, I think that. That is what you meant, wasn't it? Yeah. That's what you meant. Now that it, I said it, it sounded weird. Like, um, okay. Anyways, going on. But she says, I forgive you. I forgive you. Like there, there, were, there, were, there are years in our relationship in the past. I wish this wasn't a story, but we just made each other pay after mistakes were made. You guys good at that? What's the point? Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't do that? Aren't you glad that that's not the way he loves you? And even in that moment, she says, I I forgive you. It was reminding me of the grace and the mercy that Christ has bestowed upon me, right? And it causes me to fall deeper in love with him and deeper in love with her. That's marriage. There's something far greater going on. It is painting a picture of our ultimate union with Christ. Lastly, let's see how our picture's doing, by the way. We're almost done here. Let's take a look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's that's nice. It's warming up, isn't it? Submission, sacrifice, forgiveness, commitment, layer after layer of these non-negotiable commands that are really colors. Because we're, we're pa- our marriage is painting a picture of this ultimate union we have with Christ. Lastly, it's unconditional love. It's the final thing. Loving your spouse unconditionally is a way to portray how Christ loves you. This is so difficult. Could you give me 35 seconds? Most of us, most of us, all of our life have never really been loved unconditionally. Most of the people, in our, even at times our parents, not even knowing what they were doing, were just really loving us when we performed well. And so that's all we've known. And this is why marriage gets so difficult. Because you know what? People come in and, and, and she's acting this way and he's acting that way. And, and we're just prone to say, you know what? Forget it. It's not worth it. But this is where you need the gospel. Because Christ loves us unconditionally. What does that mean? The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When I was dead in my sin, when I couldn't do anything for him, when I wasn't, I wasn't able to give him anything that he needed, he loved me unconditionally. Do you understand that today? That if you're in Christ, you have been loved in unconditionally. Not for something that you brought to the table, not for your good performance, not anything that you could add. Just period. You have been loved unconditionally conditionally. Is that not the most amazing concept in the world? It's liberating. But you've been called to love your spouse that way. Most of the time we just want to love him when he deserves it. That's not painting a picture of how God loves you, is it? Is it? That's conditional 
contractual love. That's not a covenant love that a father has for you, his son or daughter, that is meant to be displayed in our marriages. And listen, here's where it gets good. Listen to me. You want the good stuff? You want the good stuff? Here's the secret. When she's having a bad week and she's sniping at you, to just love her and realizing by loving her, you're loving Christ. Think about this. You want to love me? Love my boys. Love my grandson. Love my, this is new news, my granddaughter. We just found out yesterday the streak is over. We got a girl coming, so we're pretty excited about that. We've just had boys. I'm ready for a a baby girl, and she's coming. Yeah, little Charlotte. Love her. You want to love me? Love her. You want a supernatural empowering to come upon your marriage. You love your spouse unconditionally. As a, as a picture of the way that God has loved you, and it will change everything. Francis Chan said this, I'll be done. He said it would be pointless to cast a vision of a healthy marriage to those who don't possess the Holy Spirit. Like if you're here today and you would say, okay, I understand the point of, of marriage is to picture this union we have with Christ. You could understand that, but if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit makes the difference between being dead and being alive. Without the Spirit of God, it doesn't matter how healthy your view of marriage is or how badly you want it. Here's the statement that's money. A dead spouse, he's talking about spiritually, a dead spouse cannot conjure up a living marriage. Singles, single girls, listen to me. Single girls, listen to me. You're not going to like this. But if you marry him because he's hot and he's dead spiritually, he will burn your life to the ground. I promise you that. That's why the scripture says that we're not to be unequally yoked. Why? Because a dead spouse spiritually can't conjure up a living marriage. The fairy tale ends badly there. For the rest of you, if you're here today and you would say, I don't know, this is marriage number three. I can't figure out why this never seems to work. Even right now, I'm here today and she's not because it just ends this way over and over and over. I can't. I can't get along with anybody. Could it be that you've never come alive spiritually because it is the Holy Spirit that makes all the difference in the world? You can't love somebody unconditionally until you've first of all been loved unconditionally. It'll never work. But there's one who does, who's died for you, who's gone first. And if you would surrender to him, he would do in you what you could never, ever imagine. And it would change every horizontal relationship you have. I promise. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Lord, all our life we thought marriage was about happiness, about romantic fulfillment. And Father, as we study your word, it's about something far greater. It's about loving the spouse that you've placed in our life in a way that paints a picture of how you have loved us. Father, help us understand that. Father, I pray for couples today who just had a wrong view of marriage and are so frustrated today. God, it could be framed up differently. 
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bob, I know you're about to speak, but I got to do something. I forgot this last picture. Look, can we put this final picture up here? We're doing baby dedication. Thank you. It's about my eighth service. I forgot. You guys, come on down. I'm, I'm finishing. I promise. Can we put the picture of the two marriages up just really quickly as we're done? Which one does your marriage more resemble? This one on the right or this one on the left? And why? That's where it's headed. That's where it's headed. You guys, let's give these couples a hand. They're bringing the babies down here, so it's on today. Good. Paige, come on out. Thank you so much. We are so excited to have 16 families today that are dedicating 17 children. And as Brady talked about just a minute ago, if you want to love him well, love his children well, his wife well, his grandchildren, well, we want to love these families well. And we want to support them spiritually as they raise these children in a way that will point them to a relationship with Christ. These families have worked really hard to get here today. and They have done some homework. They have been to a parent orientation. And now they have been in a private service um, where they have shared some things with close family and friends, and now they're here to publicly dedicate themselves to raise these children in a way that will point them to Christ. And we are so honored to have them here today. I'm going to let them finish getting on stage, and then I'm going to call their names um, and help me celebrate with them. Marlena Bianconi and her daughter, Vivian Grace. Justin and Devin Chrisman and their daughter, Leela Rose. Blake and Whitney DeVar and their son, Vander Blake. Alex and Meredith Irvin and their son, William Beckett. John and Mindy Harker and their daughter, Kaylee Grace. Mickey and Megan Hawk and their daughter, Peyton Grace. Tyler and Lauren Knox and their daughter, Eleanor Elizabeth. Justin and Heather Larson and their son, Chapel Jones. Corey and Ariana McClure and their son, Augustus James. Joseph and Kimberly Paramore and their daughter, Lorelai Ruth. Quincy and Allison Stike and their son, Quincy Neal V. Stephen and Leah Thomas and their daughter, Olivia Scarlett. Matt and Logan Ward and their sons, Grady Everett and Max Grayson. Noah and Olivia Weaver and their daughter, Linya Jane. Brent and Tiffany Williams and their son, Chapman Austin. Adam and Brittany Wilson and their son, Tucker Cade. Let's give them all a big round of applause. And now I'm going to turn it back over to Pastor Brady. Thank you, Paige. 
That was a little boy who was running back there trying to get on the drum set, right? That's what boys do. I saw that. Hey, yesterday I bought my first little girl outfit, a little cheerleading outfit for the first time ever. It was sweet. So my wife didn't like it, but it's going to be nice. It is. There's no question about it. This is pretty exciting, stretched out all across this stage here. And then you see, if you see the goofiest people in this room with the goofiest look on their face, you know who they are? They're the grandparents because we are nuts, man. We are really messed up. There's no doubt, no doubt about that. Hey, you know, we're prone to think that, you know, to these families, hey, good luck raising these children. But the responsibility to raising these children is not just with these parents. It's with us as a body of faith. We're either a family or we're not, right? And so I want to ask you a question first, church body. If you're here today and you would say that you're willing to do your part to give, to share, and to model what it means to follow Christ in, in front of these little ones, would you just say, I do? I do. And for you guys, I think as parents, you're the primary uh, disciple makers in the life of these kids. There's no question about that. The primary disciple makers. And God has entrusted you with a really special gift. There's no question about that. And we want these children not to be changed by this culture, but to change this culture through the power of Christ. And I believe that can happen, don't you? That's your hope and that's your dream. Yeah. So if, uh, if you're here, can I hold a little girl just for a second? Yeah, because I got to get used to that, right? Look, that's okay. That's good. You are beautiful, and I got to get one of these little things here, these bows. So if you guys are, are willing to do your part to disciple, to pour into, to model what it means to follow Christ, I'm going to give you her back now so you can say I do. If you would do that, would you say I do? All right. Let me, let me pray for you guys, okay? Father, we love you and we praise you. I want to pray, first of all, for every marriage that's represented here. Specifically, Lord, I pray that you would bind the enemy from them. I I pray that they would fall deeper and deeper in love with you and with each other, and you would strengthen them in a powerful way. Lord, specifically right now, we pray that each and every child here that's on this stage would one day commit their lives to Christ as Savior and Lord, and they'd be spiritually born again. And, Lord, you'd use them in profound, profound ways for your kingdom. Lord, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.